How did you survive the drive to church today? We took the bus. That was a good idea. We came from Whitby this morning, and uh, when we got out of the car at the church parking lot, we looked at each other and we said, well, half of the things we prayed for today have already been answered. We survived. <laughs> and it was, it was quite a drive across the 401, but uh, we're glad to be here. Uh, Connie and I do a lot of traveling to our churches. We have about 90, what well, I say, churches. You'd think churches, but I think of new ventures, and I think of developing churches, and I think of some of our organized churches. But in about 90 places across our district, people are meeting to worship this morning <clears throat> in about 16 different languages. Uh, we'll be with uh, you this morning service and in the second service, and then this afternoon we'll be with the Korean Mission Alliance Church that meets over just off of Young Street and uh, Center Avenue, and we'll be with them this afternoon. So we have an amazing district with so many good things happening. Um, if you have not looked at our that New Ventures website, New Ventures Canada, plural, newventurescanada.com, go to it and be much in prayer about uh, the new church starts that are happening all across Canada. I have never seen a time in our history, in my history with the Alliance, that we've seen so many new starts happening. And it's happening not just with the Christian Missionary Alliance, but with other denominations. God is doing something in the midst of our, our nation, and I'm glad to be part of it. I want to um, talk about something that I think is absolute foundation in your life and in mine today. I want to take a look at uh, John chapter 13 for a moment. I want to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to tie it together with things that God has used in my own life. And I just pray that God would take hold of your congregation and truly make it a worshiping people. And uh, that is the very design and call of God upon our life. And I want to talk about that. Father, as we open your word this morning, we are in your hands. And you are the one who have called us. You long for us to be your own and to belong to each other as well. So take this time that we have. We consecrate it to you. Bring honor and glory to your name. Bind our hearts to yours, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We were pastoring the church in, on the east side of Winnipeg. It's a Transcona Alliance church. And I would often, during my sermon preparation during the week, I would come out into the sanctuary and I would uh, march around and around the, the, the benches. We had benches at that time. Now I think they have chairs. But um, we would, and I would pray, and then I would get down on my knees and I would pray and I'd sit in the front row and I would pray and, until God would speak to my heart. And I was preaching from 1 John uh, chapter 2 that particular uh, week. And God began to speak to my heart, and it talked about the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters. The scripture says, it says, if anyone claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, is, in the, is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. And you say, so God was speaking to you about your miserable attitude. God often speaks to me about my miserable attitude. Thank you very much. But he was talking to me about, about words that hadn't jumped off the page in the same way before. It was as if there was a conversion going on in my heart, and the conversion was from you being just simply people in my life to people who actually belong to me. That you are not simply just nice religious people. That you are brothers and sisters. 
There was a, a, that encounter in my life where I came to understand in a way that changed me this truth. I belong to you. I have a large family. I grew up in a large family, so I learned how to associate some of that thinking. But I learned something that would give me a, a, a daringness is that you belong to me. It is not simply that we have a nostalgic feeling about it. It's not that we have some sort of a religious fervor. If, in fact, you would ask the all true God to define us, he would say this about you and me and the person beside you. We belong to each other. And when you do not live in that truth, you are bringing an affront to God. Years ago, I wasn't married yet, didn't understand about having kids. My older brother was just married. Him and his wife had one little boy. And one evening, a pastor friend came and visited them. And my family, for whatever unknown reason, thinks that if any pastor or any church or any religion does anything wrong on planet Earth, it should focus back on the one person in their family who went into the ministry, me. And so all pastoral problems are somehow related to John. Thank you very much for that clarity. And so anyhow, he's dumping on me after this friend and his wife had visited. And I said, so how was your visit the other night? Oh, he said, it was terrible. I said, yeah, but you had terrible until about 11 o'clock at night. He said, this is what he said. They were here the entire night. And not one time did he say anything about Dwayne. And I'm thinking, like, there's a lot of emotion in his voice. I'm saying, like, run that by me again. And I'm trying to put it together and read between the lines. They have, in their dear possession, this two- or three-month-old baby. Beautiful baby, and his name is Dwayne. And that couple was in their home the entire evening. Now, in the minds of the eye, in the minds of the couple, they're probably thinking, stinky little bundle. Uh, he's interrupting our conversation. Uh, we wanted to do this, and now we can't because Lydia's off changing diapers. And so they are showing grace by not saying anything. But the young father is absolutely vivid. Uh, just, how could you be in my house and not value what I value? In fact, what I treasure. And I learned that night that when I walk into some home with a new baby, I kiss the baby. Okay? I learned something that politicians lose elections over. Okay? You cannot treat my wife poorly and not experience something of the Irish ire that I was born with, my carnal side. You cannot be mean and miserable to my kids and not find something out about it later. In my case, you cannot speak ill of Rexdale Alliance Church without getting first a very kind question like, tell me more. But if you repeat it, there will be something of the gentle bulldozer will run over you. You do not speak ill of my beloved churches. They belong to me. I belong to them. I belong to my wife. I belong to my kids. I belong to you. And whether this is newsflash or not, I'm going to have to learn the implications of it. But I belong to you. 
And it's going to be a little bit of a different adjustment in my life every time God gives me the opportunity to spend particular time with each one of you. We got all eternity, so apparently it's going to work out okay. But the foundation of your Christian experience is not the four spiritual laws. It's not six lessons in discipleship. It's not what church you belong to. But the very foundation of your life is that you belong to Christ Jesus. He has purchased you. But the foundation of your life is also that you belong to the family of God. You cannot belong. You cannot be in God's uh, God's ownership without also being relationship with the ones that are there um, that he calls his own. You can't call, you can't ignore the baby Dwayne. You can't speak ill of my wife. You can't speak ill of Rexdale. You can't speak, you can't do those things without touching my heart. I come as a package. God comes as a package. He is one triune God, but he has tied himself to his people. When you are in a wedding situation at the halfway, you know, sometimes during the evening, People are going to get up and they're going to make awkward awkward speeches. In fact, probably if half the speeches ever given at weddings were retracted, it would be a good thing. But in those speeches, the the parents want to uh, emphasize that this young daughter-in-law is loved and she is wanted and she belongs. And then the other couple get up and they want to emphasize that this wonderful young son-in-law is loved and wanted and he belongs. When When God is working in our life, he is going to emphasize that one truth that's going to get you into heaven. That you belong to him. That you belong to him. When I look at your foundations in this church... I can tell you this morning that you have so many similarities to all the other churches I visit. God is going to use this time of transition in your life to take you back to where true worship takes place. Someone says, we just sang a song. You can be a hermit and sing the song. You can drive down the highway and turn it on your radio. You can have the music... And, we do, and as I get through this morning, I want to somehow emphasize that we as believers too often confuse the fruit of worship with the very act of worship. The fruit of worship is what most of us come to church for. We would like to have a wonderful, happy experience. We would like to be refreshed. We would like encouragement. We would like to have a sense that all is right. That is not worship. That is the fruit of worship, because worship in itself from the very beginning has to do with bloodied lambs, broken altars, people meeting God. That is the heart of worship. Where are you worshipers? Well, where you worship and where and how we worship is non-negotiable. Where is the altar that you worship on? Where did you begin, when did you begin to worship at the wrong altar of life? This morning, I put before you the concept that there are foundations in our life. If I was to take enough time this morning, I would talk about the foundation of who I know myself to be.
The second foundation that God works in my life that lasts for eternity is how I learn to see who you are. And the third foundation is simply that which is of internal value. And the first one does a complete rearrangement and conversion in my experience because there comes a concept that I am no longer an island, a free agent to myself, but that I am tied to the Father and being tied to the Father, I am tied to you. And if I was to go farther, it would mean that I would have to learn a new language. We all talk about speaking the mother tongue. Some of us speak the mother tongue badly. But have we ever learned the father's tongue? You've never even heard the concept of speaking the father's tongue. But if you are a Christian, the foundational experience is learning to speak the father's tongue. And on and on I could go, but I want to stay with this first one. And where it is specifically where worship takes place in our lives. When we talk about worship, we use the phrase, it was worth all the effort. When I ask you, what was the effort that it cost you to put into worship? You say, well, John, I will explain in small words so I don't confuse you. Thank you. Thank you. When I use the word worship, I'm using the basic word worth that I am doing an activity that demonstrates that in the midst of all my possessions and all my values, all my imaginations, that I have chosen to put them all down to put this one forward, and I give it worth. I give it worship. It is very much similar to that of being a grandparent and speaking of your grandchildren. But that is almost idolatry, and I, me having the five finest grandchildren, we won't go there. But I understand the effective, the emotional part of worship. We, we talk about uh, things that uh, are important to us. And you'd say, well, I pursue with my life. I'm pursuing, actually, the pursuit of my life is avoiding conflict. Or the pursuit of my life is wealth. Or the pursuit of my life is... And we put our own little answer in there. And I'd say, is it possible that you have become a worshiper of that object? It is non-negotiable. You are a worshiper. We were created as worshipers, and we will worship uh, but what we will worship will either destroy us or, or make us. Let me go here one more. I want to take you through some scriptures in First Peter this morning. If I was to develop the whole thing this morning, I would have to take one more thought and tie it in. Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the enemy. What are the works of the enemy? If the enemy had free course to do anything in your life, what would it, that, what would it be that he would do? He would, he would destroy the foundation of your life. And the very defining foundation of your life is not how much theology you know or how much you've done in this regard or that regard. It doesn't even have to do with how many times in a row you have gone to church. The foundation that the enemy is after is this truth that holds and defines you that you belong to God or that you belong to one another. If you want to find any time the enemy is at work, he is trying to destroy that. In fact, let me give you some examples. When I travel from church to church, prayer retreats, different things with our pastors, when I have a time alone with the young couple... 
This is what I continually hear. The conversation unfolds. We talk about all the chit-chat. Then finally, in a moment of quietness, the beautiful young wife will speak up and she'll say this. Now, John, if I could be honest, now you know the conversation began. To be very honest, I don't feel like I belong in our church. Really, tell me more. And on will come the story. My people don't receive me. This, they said something about my husband. And on, and all the different juxta- situations come into juxtaposition. Or I can walk into a, a, a Bible camp ministry. And about the third day there, I'm talking to the kids, how are you doing? I don't know if this is a good place for me. I can walk into uh, a senior's home. And the person has been there for two years. Tell me about here. Well, I've been here for a couple years, but tell you the truth, I just really don't feel like I belong. And whether I go to senior home or Bible camp or young couples marriage or ministry or anywhere I go, there is nothing more common in those heartfelt conversations than this phrase, I don't belong or I don't feel like I belong. Let me give you something of the nature of it. A young family, a young man and wife bring a baby home from the hospital. The baby's there, bassinet, wonderful, wonderful, one-year-old, two-year-old. It goes into a temper tantrum and runs off by itself. Why did it run away when it went into a temper tantrum? Four years old, now it's got quite a vocabulary. First we like the vocabulary, then it's driving us crazy. And when it gets old enough to say it, it says that famous phrase, Mom and Dad, I don't think I belong to this family. Really? So you deal with it. Seven years old, school, I don't think I belong in that class. Eleven years old, I don't belong to this. Whoa, Chikai, Chikai, wait, let's talk about this. Honey, let me tell you some things. This has nothing to do with you telling me whether you belong to this family. I just, honey, I'm not going to tell you everything, but you weren't there the night that you were conceived. We didn't ask your permission. You weren't asked an opinion in the labor room when you came out and we hugged you and wiped your stinky little face. You did not get asked whether or not what address we would drive home to after the time in the labor room. We didn't ask you every time we took you for a trip, if you want. We didn't ask you if you preferred to have this name or that name. We didn't ask you if you wanted our DNA, our blood type. We didn't ask you that if you were going to look like your mom or your dad. We didn't ask you. Honey, you can tell me whether or not you enjoy being part of this family, but it is certainly not up to you to tell me if you belong to this family. If there is any truth in the universe, you, and I'm speaking the people before me, you have nothing to do with belonging. It is something that other people have given you. It is something that other people have drawn. Do you know that the scripture tells me that even before you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you belonged to him. When I think of the prodigal son and I think of the anger that he had, and he says, why would you do that for that derelict, that younger son? And he said, my son has come home. He was dead. He was lost. But he is now alive. But when he was dead, he was still mine. He was separated from me, but he was mine. When I walk into, a, into another country 
and I look at the people and I have an opportunity to preach the gospel or share Christ, I'm looking at people who through my father belong to me. I can walk into them and say, I'm here to call you home. They say, I don't belong to your home. I said, you can tell me whatever you want. You can repeat whatever lie, whatever distortion you think. But I want you to know that you belong to the Father and he's in love with you. First Peter, I'm just going to run through these scriptures. And every time he's talking to these people who are in a horrible uh, diaspora, they're all spread out. They're so far from their, the country they long to be living in. And he begins to talk to them. And he's going to use the word elect. And he's going to use the word chosen. He's going to use the word father. And over and over again, he's going to repeat things that remind them that the father has a way of thinking about them. They'd say, I have had a dose of religion. And religion tells me that I live by expectations, behavior, being accepted, being approved or not. I said, I don't know where you got that religion from, but it's not from the Bible. Watch here when I talk. And when I talk about how the Father gives himself to us, to God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you who have been chosen... Can you read that? It's so small. I should have made it about ten times bigger. You who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours. Let me just hang on for a moment. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Let me show you a lesson in futility. Why don't you have an argument for two or three hours about whether or not God predetermined that you were going to do this or that? Because I honestly think that is a futile chapter of your life that you didn't write and you will never be able to properly read it. But I'll tell you what else he knew by foreknowledge. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, when he called you to be his own, He knew ahead of time how miserable it was going to be to transform your heart that you would think like him, live like him, desire like him, respond to him. It's like us adopting someone into our family and the person later coming back and saying, Dad, did you have any idea how difficult it was going to be to deal with me? He says, I suspected We saw some attitudes, we saw some behavior, we saw some different ways that you talk, and we thought, oh my goodness, we are in for it. God knew ahead of time the struggles and the agony and the angst that was going to be in your journey as you learned that transforming work and learned to walk in that which is the family flavor, obedience. They say, well, why did you still go through with it? Because I saw the other part. I saw what was going to be formed in you. And you were so worth it. You were so worth it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the only terms he talks to those hurting people. He says he's a God and he's a Father. He says he's brought us into a new birth, into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, then another family term, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept at home for you. He said, John, it doesn't say that. That's what, exactly what it says. We're keeping it at home for you. We're keeping it in heaven for you. Because that's who you are. You'd say, John, you need to know. I know that 
philosophically and theologically, but I don't live like that. Therefore, with, my, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Here is the identifier. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That's how he talks about it. He calls you children. He says, once we lived in ignorance... He says, how did that ignorance, I'm asking, how does that ignorance hurt me? How is that ignorance hurting me today? What is the relationship between my ignorance and the enemy's, the enemy's desire to ruin my relationship with God and with you? The notion that if you have a good strategy, you will be a good church. Or if you have good facilities, you'll be a good church. Or if you have good leadership, you'll be a good church. No church is better or more fruitful or safer than it is a place to belong. And that power of belonging is in your hands. That's what it is. How can we possibly start new churches when there is no worship group, there is no piano, there is no building, there is certainly no money, there is no leadership. There's just a whole bunch of desire. One day I was working with our dis- district superintendents, and they were asking me, okay, you guys have had some good success with planting new churches. I said, we have. They said, so how are you doing it? Because in your new venture fund, like you have about $240,000. John, one DSDS said, you can't do it. I said, guys, you got church planting all wrong. You think church planting is about a budget and a building and a strategy and all that. I said, how many of you are married? And all, you know, the other five guys stuck up there and we're married. I said, did any of you have money before you had children? Did any of you have a, a purchased house before you had children? How many of you actually had your education before you had kids? Half the hands went up. I said, how did you get those kids without a strategy or a building or a budget or an education? And they all got really quiet and their eyes twinkled. That is how you have a healthy church. Because you think more of each other in that early years of your marriage than you think of all the demanding calls of house and mortgage and budget and order and structure and appearance. All you want is you want the other. In fact, you like a little bit more of the other, so you go create one. And you say, how can we have a healthy church? Because when you look at the person, you'd say, Pastor, I am willing to learn whatever it means for me to be to you what in, God, what in fact God has made me to you. And I want to talk about that a little bit as, time, as our time permits. He says, he says um, in verse 17, Since you call on a father who judges each person, if I go down to verse 18, he says, You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. What was the empty way of life handed down to me from my ancestors? What is the hurtful thing that the enemy wants to do? The enemy cannot take this away from me. The enemy cannot undo that I belong to you. He cannot but he can take away the value that you are to me. He can nurse all these thoughts in my head. You don't owe that person anything. That person doesn't deserve your time. 
That person hasn't done anything for you lately. That person hasn't done this. It's like being at a family reunion and everybody's got their nose out of joint and everybody knows what little the other person has done for them. They're at the family reunion because they have to be there because grandpa said show up. And they know that grandpa's going to die and they want his inheritance. And they're all there. And in behind all this, all this little needly in line, they didn't give me a chair. They didn't pass the beans to me. They didn't give me a break. You'd say that never happens at family reunions. It happens in church every Sunday. I'm offended. I think they, I think they sat there just to spite me. I had a couple one time in one of the churches we pastored, and I said, you know what? This is a great place for our company. I said, would you as a couple sit? They've been in that church for 40-some years. And this older couple, committed to missions, said, if we can't sit here, we're not coming to church. You cannot believe what went through my mind. I did not say it. He says in verse 17, you call on a father who judges a person's work impartially. He says, you were released from the empty way of life handed down to, from your ancestors. What was the empty way that was handed down to you? An independence from God, an independence from others, an independence from whatever it means to, to, to uh, follow hard after him. Remember the story of Hosea? And if I go into Hosea chapter 1, and then I think it's in chapter 3, Hosea is told to go and marry a woman who has been in prostitution. And he does. And then there are two children that come out of it. And then she goes back to her former lifestyle. And when he, and then it says, I think it's chapter 3, he goes back and he redeems her and he brings her back. I want to ask you, in today's mentality, what would ever possess a person's mind to obey God and go back and get that woman and bring her back? You'd say, I'll tell you what it is. It's godly mentality. Regardless of that woman's performance, she is my wife. That doesn't mean in a domineering way, in a, in a mean, harsh, autocratic way. It means this. Our lives are tied together and we belong to each other. And I don't know what transpired in her thinking that she began to behave as if she didn't belong and we don't belong to each other. But it said she had to go back and redeem her. How do you go back? If somebody I love has sold themselves into sin, I will pay any price to go back and get that person. About five, six years ago, our eldest son decided that he wanted to live estranged from our family. It has been, bar none, the most excruciating, painful thing in our life. And we gave ourselves to prayer. And we gave ourselves to every effort. And I remember one time one of the boys, the other three sons, said, Dad, why don't you just let him go? And I said to my son, I said, son, you'll never, I will never let him go. I will die before I let him go. I will never. He said, why? Because he's mine. You don't even understand the gospel and the missions and going to the nations because there is a father in heaven saying of the nations, they are mine and I want them back. And somehow by my spirit, I will fill people until they understand the power of belonging to one another. And I will lay down my life and I will send my son and I will expend myself completely because they are mine. And some lazy, shallow notion that says it might cost you something. Friends, I want you to see today that when I talk about worship, I'm talking that this worship is based on belonging. 
What verse am I on here? Let me go a little bit farther. If you could point to the most common dilemma of your family or church, what would it be? What is that need? You'd say the most common problem we have is an inability to serve each other out of a heart that says we belong to each other. This is what the scripture says. You also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ. Second Corinthians, you belong to Christ, so do we. Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. The God whom I, to whom I belong. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. Romans 12, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each, body, and each member belongs to all the others. First Thessalonians 5, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Romans 8, if you have the Spirit of God in us, then we belong to Christ. You can go on and on if you want, and you can continue to find teaching about this. Let me give you the example that touches my heart. Before, before the cross, Last Supper, they're up in the room, they're going to have a meal together, and the scripture says... Jesus, knowing some specific things about himself, he knew where he'd come from, he knew he was returning to God. So he gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, after that pours water in a basin, washes the disciples' feet, drying them. He came to Peter, and he said, and Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said this, Unless I become a servant to you, I will never have a piece of you. Unless I become a servant to you, I will never own a piece of you. So no, no, you own people by being rich and famous and powerful and, and manipulative and manageable and all that. No, 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 you don't. You become part of another person, when you get involved in that hurt and broken part of their life and you hold it and you carry it, when you stay with them when the baby is sick and you stay up all night, when you walk alongside them and so carefully help them in ways that would have otherwise embarrassed them, when you stand with them in the midst of all their shortcomings, I've watched it in churches for years. People saying, well, we've only been to that church for two or three years, and we would get involved when we begin to feel like we, uh, like we uh, belong there. I said, it's never going to happen. You'll have a funeral out of that church one day in 20 years, and you'll still never think. Why? Because the key to feeling the sense of belonging is not how other people treat you. I have talked to enough pastors' wives. I have talked to enough people in ministry. I have talked to enough people around the world. And I will tell you, you can have people brush you, feed you, love you, pamper you, whatever. And it won't make you feel like you belong. You'll always think there's one more missing piece. But I want to tell you that after a church function, after about 20 minutes washing dirty dishes in the sink downstairs, you're going to have felt a sense of belonging. Someone will come up and say, that pot's still a little dirty. And you'll immediately, like, like an owner of this church, that his pot's very good. I said, when did you become an owner? About 15 minutes ago, scrubbing dishes. There is something Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, I won't have a part of you. 
I want a part in your life. And the whole world, the useless, empty way that I received from my ancestors was you need to manipulate the world like this. Jesus said, that's not it. It's empty. Because we belong to each other, the way that that works itself out is you begin to serve. There is an effective way that belonging happens and it becomes servant. When I talk about where worship takes place, it's here. We would like to have worship as a wonderful free experience. It's not. When I would drive to the church as a young pastor, and I would get to the church, and all that fills my mind was those last two minutes of conversation with Connie, and she said something I didn't like, and I came back in my own miserable way, and I made a comment. And I get into the car, and I go down to the church, and by the time I get to the church, the Holy Spirit is saying, John, this is not going to be a good day for you. And I get on the phone and say, Honey, please forgive me for what I said. I didn't mean it. It was the wrong thing for me to say. You know what was happening on that telephone? I want you to understand this as much as any part of the message. This is what was happening on that telephone. Worship was taking place. It was like the friend of my brother's who came back the next week and said, Cyril and Lydia, I want to apologize to you. I don't know how we could have been so thoughtless to have given such little consideration to your son. You know, that young couple, they would have forgotten what they ate that evening. They would have forgot what day of the week it is. They would have forgot the climate. They would have forgot. But they will never forget that some people came back and they said, your child is precious. And in this church, wouldn't it be nice if you got the perfect pastor and the perfect conditions and the perfect payroll and the perfect... It's not going to ever be perfect until you are precious to each other. Until worship takes place, there will never be the fruit of worship. And worship in the Old Testament was we took our precious lamb and we laid it down. Let me ask you this. What is it that is precious to you that keeps you from serving? What is it that is so tempting to make you independent of people? You'd say, if I was truly to belong... I would have to deal with fear, resentment, history, baggage, and you go on and you make your list. And you need to know something about me, that these things are of incredible worth. And they are of so much worth, they would never get traded off for whatever that person is worth in my eyes. Really. You think that your argument and your notion and your bitterness and your frustration is worth more than the other person? Yeah. Why don't you tonight in prayer, why don't you just mention that to God, that the ones that were redeemed at the high price of the blood of Jesus, all these imperfect people, so much prone towards hypocrisy, are not worth anything, and your arguments are really worth something. You should pull that on God sometime because we pull it continually. It is the empty way that we inherited from our ancestors. And it has determined cultures all around the world. When I ask, what does it mean to belong? Here is where I worship. I worship because when I begin to serve you, every mean attitude of my heart comes to the surface. 
This morning in my prayer time, before we left, there were some people, Connie, this sounds too close, and you're going to know all of my thoughts, and they were bugging me, they were driving me nuts. And I said, God, I have been so captivated by my silly little arguments against those people, and Lord, I'm so sorry, I am using my argument and my attitude and how they behave and what they're doing. Lord, I give it to you. You know what just happened? Worship. Because what's happening in worship is I am giving God what I have, and he's giving me what he has. And you'd say, John, you don't have much to give. When I would worship in the context of my friendship with you, all of a sudden my irritations, my shortcomings, my expectations, all the things that mark my life, the only thing I'm giving to him in worship are the things that probably nobody else would want. I worship him by giving him these arguments and these notions and these attitudes that have become trophies to me. And I take these ugly, stinking trophies that are precious to me and I give them to him. And he gives me back his peace. And I give him my irritation and he gives me back his grace. And I give him my acts of of, of deliberate separation and he gives me back that joy of of peace and, and my worship. And then I come around people and all of a sudden the fruit of that worship is a public thing and I'm acting tolerant and thoughtful and kind but it didn't happen because we sang three more choruses it happened because worship took place in my heart and I took the treasures of my heart and I gave them to him and he took the treasures of his heart friend we worship in the midst of this relating to one another and it looks like serving and when we are not then we become independent The prodigal son was independent of his father. And he did, it wasn't a case that he had a plan. He said, I'm going for a good time. I'm going partying. And his independence was all about lawlessness. But the older brother, he had a rule book. But he was equally separated. The one son was said to be lost and dead. The other was very much alive and in relationship with the father, but he was living by the same rule book. My brother doesn't measure up to my expectation. In fact, Father, you don't measure up to my expectation. In fact, nobody on this whole farm measures up to my expectation. In fact, I have a rule book, and the rules by which I live are of my own writing, my own script, and as long as I am in relationship with you, there will be friction, because you don't measure up to the rules that I've written. Has there been anything more of the devil's suggestion in your life than the authorship of your own rule book? Has there ever been anything more destructive in our churches than all these little rule books that are in everybody's back pocket? I don't think you did this. I don't think they did that. I don't think they had to write that. I don't think... For heaven's sakes... Who made you an author and said that we need to live by your rule book? Every time we begin to live by a human rule book, it separates us from one another. It is that empty way of life that we receive from our ancestors. It is the stuff that the enemy uses to ruin us. And Jesus came to destroy it. And he became, he destroyed it. And he came and what he did is he tied himself to us. And he gave himself to us as a servant. 
Only twice does it say in the scripture that Jesus gives us an example. One is to suffer and the other is to serve. Those are the only two examples the scripture says. First Peter and then in, in uh, John chapter 13. On and on. There's other repetitions of it. To belong is all about how I see myself. And the enemy has set out to distort the way I see myself. I want to see myself as being absolute finished material. And I am not. And if God is going to deal with me, he is going to deal with something that needs to be brought to the surface. If I was a hermit, my concept of worship would be repeating theology and giving God my loneliness. But when I worship, when I am tied to you, I'm finding my miserableness, my selfishness, my emptiness. I find my prayerlessness. I find my harshness. I find my criticism. I find my immorality. I find all the ungodly things that come to my heart. And as I'm with you, all the things that were said when I pray, Oh God, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. He says, John, that's where worship takes place. I loved you before you were ever right. It was in my knowledge that you had to be sanctified. And if I put you in this group of people, you will so be together that you will become a worshiping people. And that worship will consist of you giving up these trophies of arguments, these trophies that have been so important to you, these trophies that have handled your heart. Worship happens in the quietness of yielding my heart to God and him meeting me. It's all about that lamb dying on the altar. All about that argument of being put to death, of being presented to Christ. So how do I belong to you? I belong to you because I was born of the same father. And you belong to me. And we belong to the lost. And worship is empty until we truly come as we are. And we're worshiping together as broken people, that in this family we're meeting a God who loves us and receives us. Belonging to one another is where worship takes place. It exposes me, it breaks me, it humbles me, it exposes me. It is absolutely destructive to my whole old nature. And, and what happens out of it is I become a person humble to you, tied to you, and you to me, and us to Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes in because he's finally found a people who in all their brokenness have begun to confess the truth. That is who we are. That is where God is leading us. That is where God is leading this church. Let me pray for you. Father, take our hearts, we pray, and fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we might worship, that in all these small conversations, in all these small things, that we might know that we belong to the other, that we belong to you, that is the defining calling of our life. Father, all this attitude of independence and running away, Master, forgive me, I pray. Forgive me when I would estrange myself in those moments of anger from family and from friends and from churches. And Lord, cleanse our hearts and grant us, O oh God, that ability that you had, Lord Jesus, seeing all of our shortcomings, you still came and dwelt among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.